Welcome to another episode of The Practical CMO with your host, Mark Corona. Mark's passion is to help leadership teams accelerate revenues and profits using best growth practices and to improve the value and performance of marketing in their businesses. Well, hello. Thanks for joining us on another episode of The Practical CMO. This could be a really interesting conversation today. We're going to take up the topic of best practices in industrial marketing. And um, I've got a great guest to join us. And our, my guest today is Tim Doyle, who's a long-term industry leader focusing on sales. And Tim's background is with Top Spot Internet Marketing, and he's been working in that business for about 15 years. We're going to tap into Tim's industry insights, and um, he's got a wonderful perspective given the fact that TopSpot has 800 manufacturing and industrial clients. That's a very, very sizable portfolio, but it also allows Tim to have a very unique perspective on what's going on in the industry, particularly related to marketing. So you can read a little bit more about Tim's background in the show notes, and there's some contact information for him as well. But, you know, just as an introduction to today's program, you know, unique markets have different levels of marketing maturity. And they use different ways of going to market and different metrics of success. And in fact, and across different industries, the role of marketing can be viewed quite differently. Sometimes it's too easy to get focused on what you've traditionally done in marketing. And I think one of the challenges as I work with manufacturers is that they tend to have three parts to their marketing program. Um, one part is trade show participation. One part is uh, a website, may not be a very good website, but they'll I'll say they have a website. And then the third part is they use marketing to build sales collateral. And that's a pretty thin view of marketing's uh, contribution to any business. But in today's program, we're going to do a deep dive on industrial and manufacturing, do a temperature check on the overall health of the market and growth prospects. And we're going to characterize businesses in this sector as well and highlight some best practices and kind of give the industry a little bit of a grade. So, Tim, are you ready to jump in it with me today? I sure am, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's great to work with you in uh, in this context. You know, with that perspective you've got of 800 top spot clients, how would you characterize today's market for manufacturers and other in industrial companies, Tim? Mark, I'd characterize it as unsure. I would, and let me kind of describe that. So for some manufacturers who are targeting certain verticals, they're doing exceptionally well, but there's an unstableness kind of below the surface, obviously with the interest rates and things of that nature and kind of instability in uh, the economy. Uh, there's always just that underlying fear that things could go south pretty quickly. But if you're selling in certain markets like defense and aerospace, you're probably doing quite well. If you're selling to general industry, you, you're definitely probably feeling a little bit of softness right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So sometimes it's a little bit of a challenge to characterize an entire industry, particularly when it's got a lot of breadth in terms of sectors and areas of focus and things like that. So I think what you'd say is sort of what I would um, also characterize as uncertainty, um, nervousness about the future driven by the economy and other things that are going on globally. At least right now, we're not dealing with the supply chain challenges that we had uh, to the extent a few years ago, right? Well, we are, you know, I would interrupt you. We are seeing a lot of reshoring, a lot of tooling coming back just because of that instability globally. 
that has been happening for about the last three years. Yeah. Okay. So I, I know, Tim, as you interact with your clients, a lot of times you're dealing, right, at the, dealing with the, um, you know, the top of the business, right? The CEO or um, a CMO or a head of marketing. And, um, you know, there's a lot of research about what people think their top challenge is. But how would you characterize it today for uh, manufacturers and industrial companies, Tim? So there's, in most of these, you know, mid-size and smaller manufacturers, I'm talking 100 million and below, there's a, a void at the top. There really isn't uh, leadership in the marketing area and, and sometimes not even in the sales area. I find people wearing many, many hats. So what we're seeing more and more is people are identifying that fractional engagement with a CMO or a VP of sales can fill that void and provide leadership that has not been there for mm -hmm. sometimes years. Yeah. And that, that tends to play out quite well. We're seeing that our model as a digital marketing firm really is a fractionally owned digital marketing department. Uh, and people are identifying that as a better path to success. Yeah. So while, you know, our listeners might uh, be aware that labor availability across manufacturing is an issue. You're you're talking specifically about leadership avail uh, talent, right? Yeah, and the leadership to... leads to all of that, right? I mean, yeah, the, the labor problem is real for sure, and with the aging workforce and the retirement of a lot of institutional knowledge, that's probably the biggest challenge that companies have. But then you've got that challenge at the top as well, right? Mm -hmm. With the leadership that that can help stabilize things. Right. That makes yeah. And, you know, when they look at your business, I mean, I think one of the things that has always impressed me about TopSpot is how long your client relationships tend to last. Right. And, you know, when you talk about being their sort of digital marketing department that they've outsourced to your business in many, many cases, I mean, you're talking about multiple years of ongoing relationship. I think that's quite notable. What really drives that, Tim? I think it's. Our clients understand that we, we want to be a part of their business. We want to understand their business just like they do. And so we, we're a 20-year-old company. We just celebrated our 20th anniversary. We still have our very first customer. It's a contract fabricator out of Magnolia, Texas. And he is still a client to this day. And we're very proud of that. I think the average agency will retain a client for about two and a half to three years and we exceed a decade with most of our clients. Mm -hmm. So that you've redefined the word embedded, I think, right? With that kind yeah. of a long-term relationship, right? But yeah. I mean, at that point, you know, you are as much of their leadership team and their business model as any employee that they might have. Uh, that, sure. I mean, and your knowledge of their business may exceed even some of the new people that they hire. Yeah, we, our goal is to be considered trusted advisors. You know, really, uh, I get called quite a bit from clients just to talk about certain decisions they might be considering just to see, do I agree or would I have a different perspective? I enjoy that, that, yeah. that kind of trust that uh, I have with many of our clients. Yeah. And, you know, that term trusted advisor is something that gets thrown about um, pretty loosely sometimes, right? It's not something you could declare on your own. It's something that you have to work to um, towards over a multiple year relationship, right? You have to earn it. 
You got yeah, to, to earn it, right? Yeah, on an ongoing basis. I mean, I think the ability, your ability to create ongoing value for your customers is a large part of that, right? I mean, that's kind of been my experience with your organization is that they're not afraid to say, hey, have you thought about this? Or hey, we've noticed that, or here's the best practice that, you know, we've seen um, other clients use and sort of put that on the table. Not that everyone is a great fit or can be adopted, but the willingness to do that, I think, is absolutely um, key to being a trusted advisor. So, you know, I often talk about growth. I think probably most of the engagements that I work on, Tim, have a growth component. It's um, often a lack of a a long-term view of how their business can grow and where their opportunities really are, right? And, you know, I've got a friend who's an investment banker and his his view is, you know, most businesses view of their growth is pretty opaque. You know, they'll say, hey, we want to grow 10% annually. But if you ask them how they're going to do that, they don't really have a good approach laid out, right? They can't tell you what their priorities are. They can't define how much incremental growth might come from doing X versus Y. As you've seen companies sort of um, today's market, is, is growth still a challenge that it seems to be? And I mean, growth can be driven, needs can be driven by a lot of different factors. One of them is that you're stagnated and your your competitors are actually growing and you're not, which is you know reducing your market share. But sometimes you can have a company who's growing 20% annually and then growth is a different kind of challenge because you've got to bring the operational environment along with you to you know be able to keep whole. Absolutely. Yeah, there definitely needs to be an alignment between your sales and marketing and operations, because I have seen many instances where sales may be very successful, sales and marketing working together may be very successful, but it puts a lot of pressure on operations. Mm -hmm. So you have to have that uh, integration and ongoing uh, collaboration with all of the stakeholders at the business to make sure that, you know, you're running smoothly. In the area of marketing and sales, that's there's a huge disconnect in industry between marketing and sales. Uh, the marketing department, we've all heard, you know, the stories of that. You know, they think they're doing a great job because they got 200 leads for a month, and the sales department looks at them and goes, "These are not good leads. These are not sales qualified leads." So, what we counsel our clients to do, and and in working with some sales executives, we, we always say there's got to be an alignment between identifying marketing qualified leads versus sales qualified leads. So your marketing department, your sales department need to meet regularly. Mm-hmm. We meet as a company at top spot just for our own marketing and sales. We meet weekly with our marketing department to make sure we're analyzing leads, qualifying leads, and then we move them into an SQL only if we all feel good about uh, that they're aligned with who we are as a company. We right. walk away from more leads by far than we engage with. Yeah. And, you know, there's that old balance between sort of quantity leads and quality leads, right? I worked with a company and they were generating, they had 13,000 web sessions a month from people came to their website, right? And they were really happy about that. And then when you started to look at their conversion rate, when you looked at their uh, bounce rate, it's kind of like, well, wait a minute, people go to your homepage, you know, they spend 30 seconds and then they're like, bye-bye. Because, and and what I figured out is their URL people thought was a government website and they were going for information from OSHA 
And, you know, they weren't an OSHA business. They were a safety and a safety business, but you know, that was just total waste of time and energy, right. To throw away 13,000, they weren't leads, right. 13,000 sessions a month, but you're still paying for, for that. So, Hey, Tim, if we kind of netted out marketing, you know, I, I kind of like to do grades sometimes and say, well, you know, people are, uh, could sort of connect when you say what kind of grade you might give marketing performance in businesses that you've worked with. And then I want to talk about the ones who score higher, what they're doing for best practices. What would you give as an overall grade to marketing teams within manufacturers and industrial businesses, Tim? I would give them probably a C. Yeah, it's not very good, usually, when yeah. you engage with a client. There's just no real strategy and implementation, and frequently it's underfunded. I use the term magical thinking a lot. I, I run into a lot of magical thinking with uh, particularly owners of companies and executives of companies. They think magically just because they invest X into something they expect a huge exponential return. And that's just not the way it works. Right. It's really consistency. You have to fund it and you got to be consistent. Well, and there is something to be said for that, right? The one time, hey, let's go splash a bunch of money on something and then it doesn't work. And then you've wasted a lot of a bunch of money and you haven't got any results that you really want. And you've used up your budget. It's probably not the way anybody really wants to manage their marketing investment. So now, you've talked already about alignment of sales and marketing and made some comments around that. You and I talk a lot about effective and efficient lead generation and lead qualification, having a really streamed sales pipeline. What are the companies who you would give a B plus or an A minus or an A to doing that others are not doing that you'd say, hey, you know, here you got to do X, Y, and Z because you'll, you'll see some noticeable improvements relatively quickly? There's one out of Minnesota called Dalson, and they're kind of a what I would call top of the food chain. They're still family owned. They're passionate about their business. They fund marketing and they're consistent. They engage, they're consistent for well over a decade. They've had a strategic partner in marketing, a couple of them that they've stuck with and they're accountable. Both sides are accountable and they execute very well. Uh, together. Mm -hmm. and, and so I would say Dawson is is an excellent, they were actually fabricator of the year a couple of years ago with the right. Fabricators Association. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kind of, they were growing 20% annually, which really outperformed the industry in spades, right? Be able to do that, not just once, but on a more consistent basis, I think really made them quite unique. Another company, a smaller one in, in Houston called NEMA Enclosures, also First generation, but a growth path with second generation, very involved, which is nice to see, right? And they also, they fund it, they stick with it, they're consistent, they're visionaries. It's quite refreshing uh, to, to see, and they have reaped the benefits of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Heck, one other area I'd like to just explore with you, and that is the value of a, um, a high-performing website. Because, you know, when I initially meet prospects and potential new clients, they'll say, well, we do marketing and I'll ask what their marketing program consists of. And they will often say, well, we've got a website, we go to trade shows and we've got sales collateral, right? I mean, that's sort of the most common three things that doesn't really define 
a, a healthy marketing function, particularly when you when you start poking at their trade show performance and you say, well, how much of your budget do you spend on trade shows? Well, 50%. Like, well, what kind of value do you get? You know, if you've got a booth, what are your sales per square foot? How many leads do you get? How many do you convert? What's the size of the opportunity? Are they bigger, smaller than other uh, leads that you might get? But what about the websites that you see initially? I know, you know, top spot among every among all the things that you do do, you know, you really work with companies to give them an effective foundation for their marketing programs by having a high performing website. So what are the things that you tend to get involved in to take sort of the, an existing website and either start over or transform it into something that looks like it's higher performing? So our position is that the website needs to be the cornerstone of your marketing communications program. Because even if you're doing trade shows, those people who get who come to your booth or learn about your company, they're going to go to your website and they're going to go there and, and hopefully it validates some of the impressions you made in your trade show booth. I've seen many instances where a trade show booth is absolutely glorious and the website is a disaster. So there's a disconnect there, right? I mean, that website needs to be funded and kept up to date. And it needs to, it needs to navigate well. It needs to provide a great user experience. And the challenge that a lot of people, well, what they forget about is that a website needs to be an ongoing, growing, living thing with content. You need to continually be adding and massaging and updating content to support the marketing initiatives to position you in the search engines under transactional phrases that your target audience might query. Mm -hmm. so we, you know, Our goal is to put you in front of what we call in-market buyers at the precise moment they've realized the need to look for someone like you. And that doesn't happen without work and a strategy and a plan that's executed over time. Right. So, you know, you've got the organic listings and that's that content strategy. And then you can use the agility of paid advertising, that pay per click model. If done correctly, it can work extremely well in uh, putting you in front of those in-market buyers. That's how we think about it. Right. A lot of uh, manufacturers just, they don't think of it that way. Right. They don't about the ongoing nature of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, when you invest in a trade show, if you, it can be a good strategy for you or a good tactic anyway. If you've got the right people and you uh, work in your booth and you've got the right offer. And, you know, I mean, I, I think people, when they stop thinking about a trade show as an event and start thinking about it as a process, they can try to make it work more effectively, right? There's a lot of pre-show work that has to happen, and then you have to have good show execution, and then you've got to have good show follow-up. But, you know, a lot of people don't go to your trade shows, but almost everybody goes to your website at some point in their, uh, their the buying process, right? It might be for research. It might be for confirmation. It might be for product configuration. It might be for any number of different things. And I think if nothing else, that's the real argument for having a, an effective high-performing website is somebody's going to, everybody's going to go through that website at some point in time, right? As part of their buying process. And I, I don't know, I mean, my perspective now, and I read a lot of things from others, but 
it looks that the number of like the number of contacts that someone or touches anyway that a buyer will make in a manufacturing buying process could be today up up towards 12 to 15 touches right which might mean looking at your website might mean you know uh, downloading a white paper or looking at your newsletter or calling your 800 number but that's a lot of interaction to get to a sale right you know we have a tool we call loop analytics which shows that visitor flow and so it'll harvest the form data and it shows the touches with the site and all the pages they looked at frequently we will see three four five visits then the conversion and then quite often even after the conversion we'll see three four five visits after the conversion as they continue to come back and think about the prospective business they want to work with and so analyzing those visitor journeys can be extremely helpful in understanding you know the personas we're going after and their mm -hmm. their informational needs. Yeah. And, you know, that is really the essence of what was introduced by uh, Don Peppers in the eighties as one-to-one -one marketing, right? Yeah. It's like, it's not marketing. You're dating yourself, Mark, you're dating yourself. Here. Yeah, I know I am, <laughs> but uh, you know, he was right then. He just, there, there just wasn't the technology available to effectively execute on that model. Today there is, right? But that's another, that's a whole different topic, right? We could, we could pick up and talk about, but do um, you have any, any closing comments you'd like to offer the listeners today, Tim? And then I'll ask you to share your contact information as well. So people, people want to get a hold of you as a follow-up. I just would like people to understand that, you know, you really need to think about your marketing and your digital presence. It's an ongoing living thing. That website needs to be your informational hub, not just kind of long form content that might be on a blog, but really your landing page content uh, to help you with your SEO and conversions. And you really need to engage experts in that regard. You know, it might be a fractional CMO. It might be a fractional digital marketing department. It tends to be a more high value play when you think about it that way with more scrutiny that you can apply to it, right? As a partner that you are hiring for their expertise and getting part of their time as opposed to an employee that maybe has some skills, right? Uh, but not a cross section of skills and not, they can't tap into a network of experts to, that a fractionally owned digital marketing or CMO can. So I would say that. I mean, really okay. think about that when you're thinking about success. You know, I think that's great guidance. It's, it's strategic guidance, but it's also very practical guidance, right? Because in the end, you know, you can talk strategy and I, I think strategy is really important. So you, you align your marketing with your business strategy and your align your sales and marketing functions together. That's very strategic, but in the end, you've got to execute effectively, right? And that's what you're, you've got, you kind of covered both of those topics. So, right. Be held accountable. Be held accountable, right? Yeah. So Tim, if uh, people want to follow up with you, what's the, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, Tim at topspot.com and topspot.com is the website. And, uh, you know, any questions about digital marketing, no obligation, reach out. Happy to have a conversation with you. Yeah. And, you know, I, I would encourage you to do that. If, if you want to talk to somebody who's really execute best practices and is an industry leader in manufacturing and supporting companies digitally, uh, you can't do better, I don't think, than TopSpot. Um, they really got this nailed. So uh, and your relationship with Google is sort of evidence of that, right? You guys are a high-level partner for Google, and 
you also take care of your clients' websites as they, uh, over time, as you said, you need to have an ongoing strategy, but it's not just building a website, but as Google and others sort of change their search methodologies and things, I think one of the values that TopSpot brings is getting them people proactively ahead of the curve as those changes uh, happen. Yeah, they move the cheese. There have been four major algorithm updates this year, uh, along with their normal dozens of other slight tweaks. They've had two major core updates uh, the last two months in a row. They just announced the second one yesterday. Mm. Uh, and we are seeing it in the rankings across a broad reach of clients. So if you don't have an ongoing strategy, Google moves your cheese. They move it yeah. around. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, yeah, as if, if life wasn't already difficult enough, you've got to deal with that too, right? Right. Yeah. Well, hey, Tim, thanks for joining me today. And thank you all for listening in. Mark Corona, founder and CMO for The Practical CMO. And I hope you enjoyed today's program. Check for uh, new upcoming programs when you can. Thank you all very much. Never miss an episode. Be sure to look for The Practical CMO in all your favorite podcast apps or on our website, thepracticalcmo.com.